The inspector's convoy headed off for the scene of last week's alleged chemical attack after security concerns forced them to postpone their investigation yesterday. They're operating in a city that's become a war zone. The suburbs of Damascus were pounded again yesterday as they have been relentlessly in Syria's deadly civil war. If the U.S. does launch strikes against the regime, many Syrians will welcome it. Brigadier General Mohammed Aboud is a leader of the country's armed opposition, the Free Syrian Army. He told us he commands 10,000 fighters and believes U.S. strikes would help his side win the war. He said the opposition has passed on information about possible targets to the U.S., though we don't know how that information is being treated. The UN weapons inspectors are still trying to determine for sure whether chemical weapons were used in last week's attack. They're taking soil and tissue samples from the area that was hit. But more countries have joined the US in saying that it was a chemical strike carried out by the Syrian government. American allies, Britain, France and Turkey all support a military response, even if it's done without the approval of the UN Security Council with expectations mounting of US-led strikes in Israel people scrambled to pick up new gas masks. They're worried the Syrian regime might retaliate against Israel as Iraq did in the first Gulf War. Mm. Well, you can see that the situation is building to a head in Syria. By the way, Ryan Crocker, who was a career diplomat with long experience in the Middle East, who also served, by the way, as U.S. ambassador to Syria from 1998 to 2001, said, and I'm quoting him directly now, there's every chance we'll lose aircraft. Let me say that again. There's every chance we'll lose aircraft. Folks, we're not just talking about hardware here, are we? Somebody's got to fly those planes. If U.S. planes enter Syrian airspace. Apparently, he did an interview, and when he was asked the question about possible U.S. military action against Syria, he said, I was in Lebanon when the Israelis invaded in June of 1982, and the entire Syrian Air Force was basically just destroyed in a matter of hours because of inadequate air defenses. The Syrians learned from that and have spent decades with their, important word now, Russian allies developing a highly advanced, well-integrated air defense system. That's what makes a no-fly zone so much more dangerous in Syria than in, say, Iraq or Libya. There's every chance we would lose aircraft. Wow, pretty unsettling, isn't it? one 548 3675 1-877-548-3675. That's our number here on In the Market with Janet Parshall. And the password for MoodyGlobalTrek.com, MoodyGlobalTrek.com, I hope you've signed up and you're playing, is travel. There you go. You got the password, travel. Joel Rosenberg is with us. He's traveled the world. He's a New York Times bestselling author of eight novels and five nonfiction about the Middle East. Nearly three million, that's a whole lot of books, folks, three million books sold. And by the way, Damascus Countdown, hello, he wrote this book way before we were waiting to see what was going to happen to Syria. So I guess now when I have to introduce my good friend Joel, I have to say he's not only a New York Times bestselling author, he's not only a man with keen insight into what's going on in Washington, D.C., but I think maybe profit needs to be added to your curriculum, D.T.I. Joel. Okay, so are you doing the Billy Graham thing, Bible in one hand, newspaper in the other, and you figured Damascus Countdown was the obvious outcome? Well, I, I, I don't uh, claim to be a, a prophet. I, you know, I, I joke that I run a nonprofit, uh, so let's just be <laughs> clear about that. Because, look, I, I'm looking at 
um, two things. I'm looking at Bible prophecy. What does the Bible say is going to happen at some point? Um, try to analyze that, try to understand it best we can, and then look at what's happening in the world and see if the trend lines will theoretically match in our lifetime. Now, you don't need to do both, I, and, and, and what I mean by that is, look, there are prophecies that I write about in Damascus Countdown from Isaiah 17 and Jeremiah 49 that do indicate that in the last days, sometime between now and the second coming of Christ, the city of Damascus will be judged by God and will be utterly obliterated uh, and consumed by fire. That's a horrible concept. Um, God in his sovereignty understands the evil that has been done and will be done and that would merit, in his view, you know, that judgment coming. None of us want to see an entire city destroyed, but that's what the Bible says. Now, that doesn't mean that what we're seeing right now uh, will necessarily lead to that, but it's worth knowing what the Scriptures say about the future of a city or a country, especially in this context of something catastrophic, apocalyptic, um, you know, when you're going into a very dangerous time. Um, and so, you know, yeah, I wrote a novel uh, not to say this is how things will play out, but to get people to consider how things could play out when you involve Iran, Syria, weapons of mass destruction, and Israel. It's mm. a, it's a, it's a, it is a uh, cataclysmic combination, and uh, I, I am deeply uh, uh, grieving for what's happening yeah. in Syria right now. Yes, yes, as am I, as am I. Joel, I'm so, so, so very grateful that you set this time to be with us, because I really want to talk to you as a brother, someone who really does go through life with that very balanced approach. Yes, you see what's in the news. You, you're like a good farmer. You're paying attention to the signs. You're watching the sky. But you've got that roadmap of the Word of God, and that's how we all must live. So I, it, it was just a matter of moments before it was all going to manifest itself. And sure enough, it started to percolate to the surface yesterday. We get a key leader in Al-Qaeda who basically quotes some medieval philosophy, some Islamic philosophy that says, first it's Damascus, then it's Cairo, then it's Jerusalem. Then we get a senior leader in Iraq, Iran rather, who says, you strike against Syria, we're going to retaliate against Israel. And Craig and I were talking last night how remarkably quiet Benjamin Netanyahu has been, because in the meantime, while he's not speaking, he's doing. So apparently he made this statement, the state of Israel is ready for any scenario. We are not part of the civil war in Syria, but if we identify any attempt whatsoever to harm us, we will respond and we will respond in strength. Honestly, Joel, Bibi Netanyahu had no choice but to make that statement, because if I'm hearing it here this far away from Jerusalem, imagine what he's hearing there. Yeah, it's just a few minutes flying time and certainly a few minutes missile time between Israel and uh, Syria. Look, the, the Israelis have certainly set down very clear and sharp markers. Um, they don't want to be misunderstood at this moment. Uh, there's a lot of uh, questions about what exactly the U.S., the British, the French, and others are going to do. But there's no question what Israel will do. It, it, you know, Netanyahu said it very clearly and very concisely. They don't want to get involved in that fight, but they will if they have to. Yes. And Israel has already taken, I think, at least three airstrikes against um, uh, Syria this year, or maybe if you include the end of last year. Uh, they, took, uh, they, they made airstrikes when they believed... 
uh, Iran or sorry, Syria was uh, transferring certain weapon systems to Hezbollah, uh, heading back into Lebanon. And so they did strike, and I think that proves uh, Netanyahu's resolve. But what is, what Israel is also doing right now is is equipping its citizens with uh, gas masks. And it is deploying every single missile defense system that it has. It's also telling Israelis to go about their daily life and don't change their routine. So that's, that's life over there, which is this could be huffing and puffing. It could be that, uh, that the Iranians and the Assyrians have no ability or interest at this moment in drawing Israel into the fight. Uh, but it's hard to read the mind of a mass murderer, uh, Bashar al-Assad. You just don't know what he's going to do. Now, for the, the logic would tell us, uh, a Western logic, let's say, that, that Assad does not want to bring the Israelis in. Why? Because what President Obama and his team are, are signaling is that we're talking about a couple of hours or maybe a couple of days of airstrikes or maybe just missile strikes designed to punish the Syrian regime for using chemical weapons, if that's in fact proved. And I think the evidence is definitely leaning in that direction, but I certainly want to see all the evidence before mm-hmm. we take action, so as to be clear. So, so the, administ- the, the U.S. administration is signaling that it's talking about punishing Assad, not removing him, not crippling him and bringing about regime change. Why are they saying that? Because who's waiting in the wings? Not, you know, pro-democracy you know, capitalists exactly. and, and, and freedom-loving people, but al-Qaeda and Muslim Brotherhood. So, uh, but, but the Israelis, if, if they are attacked, they are much more likely to actually crush the Assad regime um, and, and worry about al-Qaeda next. In other words, they, you know, if, if they don't want to see al-Qaeda rise, but if, if somebody uses chemical weapons against them, I, I, would, I would not want to be anywhere near Damascus. And so that so that that would be a logical reason for Assad not to try to draw in the Israelis, but I, I wouldn't even hazard a guess at what's going to happen in these next few days. You just have to watch it day by day and pray, pray, pray for mercy on the people who all, who live in that region. Oh, Joel, so well said, and it's so nice, it's so marvelously encouraging to get a, a Christian perspective on all of this. You know, you and I have a passport that says our destination is heaven, so. We're passing through this world. It's our temporary place of residence. And the Bible tells us that we're to be cognizant of all of this stuff. So going to bed, pulling the covers over your head and say, wake me when it's over is not an option. Okay, we need to be knowing what's going on, if for no other reason than to do exactly what you just said, which is to pray. So I'm going to pose this question because I'm coming up to a break and I would love for you to answer it on the other side. And that is... For most Americans, these geopolitical conflicts are complex. Right now, they're trying to look well to the ways of their household, stretch their paycheck, get a home, lower their debt, improve their credit, prepare for whatever disaster is going to come from the Affordable Care Act, and just do those basic things to get along in life. So understanding the nuances of history and parties and tribes in the Middle East oftentimes becomes overwhelming. So this question is for the believer. Okay, we're not to opt out. We're to tune in to what's happening. So my question to you is, as we look at the Syrian situation, how does one discern good guys from bad guys? And if the U.S. gets involved, whose side do we take with all of this? Joel Rosenberg is with us. More after this.
Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, while visiting children on the first day of school, also had words on Syria. As Western powers consider responses to allegations that Syria used chemical weapons on its own people, Netanyahu said Israel is not involved in Syria's civil war, but would respond forcefully if attacked. The state of Israel is prepared for any scenario. We are not a party to the civil war in Syria, but if we identify any attempt to attack us, we will respond and we will respond forcefully. Many in the Jewish state worry that Syrian President Bashar al-Assad could strike out at Israel retaliation to any Western attack. Yeah, this is just what we were saying with Jill Rosenberg, wasn't it? Wow. But you know what? Okay, stop first. God is not wringing his hands in the throne room wondering what he's going to do about the confrontations in the Middle East. Okay, let's let's start with the basics here. Number two, you and I get to pray for those in authority. That is not an opt-in, opt-out clause. That's a mandate. That's a directive. And by the way, I saw no caveat in Paul's tutorial to Timothy that it was only predicated on what state you currently happen to live in. He said those in authority, period, end of statement. And so this is an exciting time to be alive. And if I can quote from our friend C.S. Lewis, Aslan is definitely on the move. Joel Rosenberg is with us, New York Times bestselling author, keen insight always. And while he loathes the title prophets, I don't know, he's a little prophetic sometimes in what he sees, but maybe he's just a real astute student of the word, okay? And so he's connecting the dots. So Joel, Syria, this is, it's different from Egypt. I was talking to Raymond Ibrahim earlier, different from Egypt, markedly different. Bashir Assad is a despotic leader, period, end of statement, make no apologies in saying that. But when you look at the people who are in opposition, it's not unlike Egypt in that nature abhors a vacuum. So who runs in? I'm hearing that all brand and stripes of terrorists are joining the opposition to Bashir Assad. That doesn't make the opposition all necessarily good guys, does it? No, that's right. And, and you and I have talked about this before, that the, the biggest danger is that if Assad, who is so evil, falls, it's possible that someone or a team that is worse than him could take power. Um, we know that Iran and the uh, Shia Iranian-backed uh, Hezbollah forces in Lebanon want to take over uh, Syria if Assad falls. In other words, they're building an infrastructure around him that if they can't save him, they will take over themselves. They don't, the, the Shia radicals don't want to see the Sunni radicals like al-Qaeda, like the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, be able to capture not just Syria as territory, but all those chemical weapons, biological weapons, and that real estate right on the northern border of Israel. Now, that's why many Christians, um, understandably, don't want us to get involved in this fight. And as I've said on your program before, I have not supported um, getting the U.S. involved in the civil war thus far mm-hmm. and, uh, or arming and training the rebels because most of the rebels, not all, but most are our enemies or even worse. So, I mean, meaning, meaning they're as bad as Assad or worse. Giving arms to al-Qaeda is, is suicidal. So but I, that, that, is, that remains true to me. Uh, however, Bashar al-Assad has just crossed a moral line that we cannot turn a blind eye to. By you, if it's true, and I think the evidence is moving in that direction, intercepted calls, uh, satellite imagery, doctors' reports from the ground, they were there, thousands of people being treated. 
if the rest of the evidence comes back and it's conclusive that there was a chemical weapons attack, and it was by Assad, and again, the evidence seems to suggest, but we'll, we'll wait to, for a final conclusion, but if that's true, I don't see how the United States and the Western world, the free world, can not uh, punish a regime that po- uses poison gas to kill women, children, and men. Mm-hmm. And I would, I, you know, people say, well, then that's basically giving Al Qaeda the country. Uh, or, you know, and then others, the Wall Street Journal, Bill Crystal, are saying, well, just a few missile strikes isn't enough. You need a full blown regime change. Exactly, to, exactly. To home. So I, I would liken this more, and I haven't written this yet, but I'll say it with you first, Janet. As I've been looking at this the last few days, it's not a perfect analogy, but I would liken this to the Reagan situation with Libya when uh, Libya um, uh, bombed a discotheque in Germany in the early 1980s. You'll recall that it happened in West Germany. We were able to figure out within a few days that it was, in fact, um, a terrorist attack from Libya. Within about 10 or 12 days, Reagan made the decision to attack uh, Muammar Gaddafi. Now, he, so he launched airstrikes from Great Britain. You'll recall that the French decided they would not allow their ally, the United States, who had rescued them from World War II and the Germans, but wouldn't allow us to fly over French territory. So it was like a 12-hour flight instead of a four-hour flight, multiple refuelings. We bombed uh, multiple sites in uh, Libya, including in the capital, including the residents of Gaddafi. And we didn't hear from him again for a long time. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying it was perfect, but I'm saying it, it shut him down for a while. It said, we're not, we're not about regime change right now. We're sending you a message. And I think we have to send that message. How can we have had a Holocaust 60-some years ago and say, well, the world didn't really do much, but, you know, what were you supposed to do? It was a bad set of options. I think you have to say, look, we cannot allow people to use weapons of mass destruction to kill innocent civilians. I believe that's a U.S. national interest. Not to, not to pick winners and losers at this stage, as complicated as it is in Syria, but to say, if we, if we allow a dictator like Assad to gas people, why won't he and others take that as license to use such weapons against us and exactly. our Exactly. So, Joel, I got about 60 seconds. You talk about a moral conundrum here. So as believers, as followers of Jesus, how then should we pray in the midst of this? The main thing is to pray for wisdom for our president and for our top advisors and and safety for the people. Because we need them to make the right decisions with the right information. I don't have access to all that, and you don't either. That's why we need to pray for wisdom. Yeah, amen. Thank you, Joel. Oh, as always, such keen insight. Thank you, brother. I appreciate more than words can express. So there's our mandate, folks. We are not privy to the private conversations like the one they had in a secured line Saturday at the White House. We don't know what's going on behind closed doors, but God does. And we can petition him for wisdom as they're making, quite honestly, life and death decisions. Nobody, nobody who follows Jesus would want anyone to go into eternity without knowing Jesus first. So we need to pray for their safety and their security until they have a chance to make that decision. My heartfelt thanks to Joel Rosenberg. We'll see you next time, friends, on In the Market with Janet Parshall.